welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and uh, excited for today's guest. Um, now, I've, I've featured on uh, our guest. Uh, she's got a podcast herself, and I've featured a few times. But now it's uh, our turn to get to know who she is. Uh, her name is Lisa Mladnik, and uh, she is a, a PCC, is a um, Gallup certified Clifton Strengths coach and an ICF certified life coach. She serves on the faculty of the globally respected Professional Christian Coaching Institute and the honor of training coaches in a faithfully Catholic program that is endorsed by Mike Aquilina and fully aligned with the International Coaching Federation. Very excited about this. Uh, she has a, a best-selling award-winning, uh, she's an author, a host. She's also been on EWT and Relevant Radio, Catholic TV, and, and many others. Tune into her new micro-podcast, Talent Talk Tuesdays, for a short weekly lesson on living powerfully in your God-given talents for God's glory and your joy. Hello, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm very great. It's so good to see you again, Charbel. And thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be here. I am excited to have you. Um, uh, yeah, I, I first got to know you, I think it was a homeschooling conference a few years ago during lockdown um, with Paula and, and Homeschool Connections. And um, it was... Uh, it was the first that you hosted the, the conference, uh, you were, um, and it was great to get to know you. You interviewed me, um, and then we, we did a few more things together. You had your own. I discovered, wow, you've got your own website. You've got your own podcast, and I learned about your life coaching uh, uh, ministry. So I thought, oh, it's time to let the world know, from my perspective, our listeners and our, and our followers, what you, who you are and what you do. So oh my goodness. Uh, thanks for joining so us today. And, and it's really neat to be, because I... I do my own podcast, that's the Talent Talk Tuesdays, but Sharvel, you've been on a wonderful show that, and I say wonderful because of the people that are on it, like you. It's Homeschooling Saints, and it's sponsored by Homeschool Connections, and so it really serves this global Catholic homeschooling community, and that's a real honor for me, and we've just started our fifth season, so it's just, yeah. it's sweet work. I've, I've enjoyed, uh, yeah, being being on that podcast, and it's a great job, What you, you do a great job yourself, but... And, but there's a great lineup of, um, of of so much information and wisdom. Um, that why you mention that? How do people get to know that podcast? Where do they go for that one? Yeah, it's on all the usual platforms. And if you go to homeschoolconnections.com and you scroll down, sort of the about us, then you'll see podcast in there with their list of instructors and everything else. They're a wonderful award-winning curriculum provider. They just keep winning every award, even in the secular space for online tutoring. They're fantastic and they're saintly people. So I'm very, very proud of them and what they do. So if you go to homeschoolconnections.com or if you just search for homeschooling saints on any of the usual platform. Yeah, praise God. Okay, we'll do. And then your own website, uh, where, where, what your main website, if you could mention it now, and then I, I want to point people again at the end, but what's your main website? It's wonderfullymade139.com because all of my programs, my teaching, my coaching is all about Psalm 139, verse 14, which is... Um, I'm wonderfully made, Lord, uh, wonderful are all your works. And I love Genesis 131, where God, after he creates everything, he calls it very good. And so it's not like, it's not nonsensical or, or sugar-coated in any way. It definitely involves repentance and, and having our talents be redeemed by God. But it's just that place of being awed by God's design. That's what it's all about. So wonderfullymade139.com, all glory to God. Oh, fantastic. And what's the main, um, on that website, what can people expect What when they go there? Yeah, there's some videos there, some free stuff. Um, and there's some some of those downloads. You know, I have a little ebook on 10 ways your talents can transform your life. And those are ways to grow closer to God by understanding wow. Wow. how you, you discover the divine in your own design, those places of encounter with him and the ways, the pathways that he's woven into you for service, for receiving his love or your conversation with God, or even the ways that you can examine your own conscience. So everything is about that. And there's ways to reach me about coaching or coach training, because I have been given the incredible honor the last couple of years of coaching Catholic students, as you mentioned in the bio, at PCCI, which is the biggest and the best of the faith-based training schools that are ICF aligned. And that's the best. That's the gold standard. So it's what an incredible honor to teach Catholic students there. Beautiful. I'm excited about that part of your ministry too, uh, the coaching, the life coaching. So we're going to get to that. I, I want to, um, if you don't mind, if we have a little bit of a journey about yourself, like who is Lisa, your faith journey, I'd love to sort of um, 
get to know you more, our listeners get to know you more about how you, I guess, got to where you are now and um, have, are you a cradle Catholic? Uh, what was what was it like growing up? And, and um, yeah, just a bit about who you are, if you don't mind. Oh my goodness. Take us back to the beginning. <laughs> if my husband were here, he'd be laughing going, no, no, don't get her started. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just kind of in a nutshell, if I can, uh, I grew up in a military family. My father was a Navy pilot during Vietnam. So I'm in my 60s now. God, God rest his wow. soul. My dad and mom are gone home to the Lord. But raised six kids on a shoestring. My mother turned in green stamps for older Americans might remember that. You got them at the grocery store and at gas station. She saved them up and bought us camping equipment so that we could go on adventures because my dad was a great adventure leader. So we always had this can-do kind of military family spirit. We were always picking up and going somewhere. So I guess it was a little bit of a vagabond and a little bit of a chameleon. And that made me really attracted to the world of acting, the creative world of just reinventing myself as a, into various characters. And so there was a period of time in my 20s and, and 30s where I was slugging it out in Manhattan trying to be an actress and uh, didn't have a lot of success, did a lot of things that I'm proud of, you know, and a lot of comedy and a lot of improvisation and writing some of my own things. Um, but... That was just a period of a long period of struggle, but uh, Charlie was it was an artist at that time too. He was painting and teaching art and showing in galleries. So we were the bohemians. But the thing that plagued me, plagued us, is that I was infertile for the first thirteen years of our marriage. So I finally had a little girl, Teresa Clare, when I was almost forty. She's our miracle, and so she's just been the sunshine of our lives. And um, anyway, so she's 24 now, and she's at home with us again, just kind of temporarily saving up for grad school. So we have Charlie's mom, who's 100 years old. We have our very elderly little poodle. Wow. <laughs> and we have Charlie and me, who are not so young anymore. So our daughter's living in this like elderly world now. It's very funny. Um, not that we're elderly, <laughs> but you get the idea. It's kind of funny. We're not the, we're not a thrill a minute. I'll just say that. But uh, but she tolerates us well, and we're happy to have her with us. And I would just say, just kind of to put a button on it, that coaching was something that I wanted to do for a long time. I was teaching online with Homeschool Connections. I was giving talks and traveling around the country and selling books and doing a lot of Catholic media, things like that. I hosted some shows. and But coaching came across my radar a couple of times, and I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to afford that training. I just didn't think it would ever happen. And then one of the moms at Homeschool Connections, I had taught several of her children over the years academic writing, and she reached out just to have a friend call, and and that was so nice, and we just bonded instantly, and it turned out that she and her husband were the owners of PCCI, which is the place where I train and the place where I now get to teach, which, oh, you know, wow. pinched me as an incredible honor, and she was the one who opened the door to me starting my training and really helped me. And so it completely changed my life. It's my calling. It's kind of professionally and vocationally, of course, well after my marriage and family life, but is that big calling as far as what I do with my own talent. So I absolutely love it. It's, it's just been an incredible journey, and I'm so grateful. That's amazing. Since How early 2018, about uh, five and a half years. Okay, fantastic. And you said you had your first child in, towards your late, so almost 40. So you had five other no, children. No, no, no. I, um, I was one that, of six you, growing up. I only have one child. Yeah, no problem. Oh, no, at you're all. one of six. Yeah, sorry. it's all the numbers, right? You had one child. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, do it all. Um, just growing. I'm. I'm very interested in. Um, I guess you said uh, just growing up. So, so you, your family as a family, um, did practice the faith growing up, um, and then you, you had a moment there where you did you fall away or just sort of had um uh you know uh, did you did you always keep the faith or what was that like was it late teen years or the early 20s when you were in the acting space and and, and all that what was yeah. what was it like uh, how many years was that <laughs> yeah that's a great question because my parents were always devout and practiced their faith and like during lent we would all pray the rosary right. together things like that excuse me <clears throat> um but there wasn't in that culture any like really intentional teaching of the faith at home. It was more model. We all went to church on Sunday and holy days, and okay. we were expected to live a moral life. 
um, of course, we did fall into the culture as we got older. Everybody of my generation, practically everybody did. Um, a lot of our questions weren't being answered. And the churches were teaching a real kumbaya Catholicism. It was very, very Catholic light. I, 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 call, I describe it this way, that they gave us kind of a plush toy Jesus who always loves you and he's super nice and cuddly. But they didn't explain anything about redemptive suffering. We had no idea how painful life could be or that we could unite it to the cross. We didn't know a thing about Our Lady. I'm, it shocks me now. Not a thing. I never prayed to Our Lady except what? randomly when there was a Hail Mary required of me. But I didn't have a relationship with her or the saints. I knew nothing about the souls in purgatory. I mean, I was really an illiterate Catholic. And so because we'd been given this soft, smushy Jesus to love, when life started to hurt, it started to feel like God didn't love us anymore. I think feel like that was the disconnect. It's like religion was always yeah. made to feel good for us because the adults in these programs, in a well-meaning way, were so frightened of scaring us off. There had been the whole sexual revolution and, and all the anti-authority movement of the 60s and then, and then into the 70s and the me generation. But I got less than they were kind to good people who we knew we were always welcome in the church because they loved us. But they taught us next to nothing. And so we went out poorly armored against sin, and we fell into the culture. And I absolutely did. And so after my marriage, when things were going wrong, I'd had some difficult experiences as a young adult. And, and then in my marriage, I was struggling in the early days. We're together now 38 years, and praise God, it's beautiful. I'm so grateful wow. for my dear, dear Congratulations. husband. But those early years were rough. I was very immature. We both had a lot of wounds that we brought into our marriage. And so I had to hit rock bottom, and Our Lady did a phenomenal thing. My mother came to visit me in Brooklyn. We were living in the city, and she could see that I was in terrible condition, emotionally, psychologically. And for no reason, no, I, I didn't plan it. I just blurted out to my mother, would you teach me to pray the rosary? And so she did at that moment, and I started praying the rosary. But I had no intention of even staying in the Catholic Church. As far as I was concerned, everybody and everything had failed me in my life. I was a bitter person. I was a wreck. But I just started praying the rosary. It's like Our Lady just put her arms around. And then I did a strange thing. I planned a trip away from home, away from my husband, without consulting him. I told him about it, but I didn't ask anybody's permission. I just said, I'm out of here. I was looking at ashrams and places like that. I just wanted to be alone to confront, you know, having a crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And so my mother found me a cheap little dormitory um, at a Catholic shrine in New England at the height of the fall foliage. It was absolutely beautiful for like $35 a day room and board. So that's where I went. I spent about a week there and I had a number of feelings while I was on the campus of that shrine and then came profoundly to faith, became very hungry. It, like if Perusia had been around at that time, I would have been buying everything you had. Like I was a maniac. I was buying every book at that time, cassette wow. tape. I was going to Catholic conferences. It, it awakened yes, this huge <laughs> hunger in me. And so that was the beginning of my life getting healed. And I became a daily communicant, uh, a confession addict. And uh, to this day, and I'm, I, I always say I'm class <laughs> of 1992. So I was 33 at that time, 1992, you know, hit bottom, boom, Our Lady kind of caught me and really just carried me along the way to that place of healing to the foot of the and just completely transformed my life. So thank you for asking. That's a long answer. Wow. <laughs> so no, that, that's interesting because I mean, you, looking back, it's it's funny these these moments. Uh, you could pinpoint a moment where you had the rosary right there and just said, "Teach with a rosary." You don't know where that came from. That sort of popped in your mind then, or was someone telling you about the rosary leading up to that? Was it? That's that's where did that come from? God, that is Our Lady. That is the power of love because. I was thinking about never being Catholic. And I was at the point, I got to tell you, I was going to become one of those people in, up in the woods typing manifestos. I hated everybody and everything. I didn't want religion. I was leaving it behind me. I was not going to go to mass well, anymore. I'd had it. I just felt like everybody had burned me and I was done with humanity. I was so, so at the end of my rope. So for me to say, teach me the rosary, that was like Our Lady went up inside me like a puppet and did that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've looked back on that moment many times, even <laughs> prayerfully, and said, like, what was that moment? Why did those words come out of my mouth? It was completely unpremeditated. So <laughs> Our Lady came and got me. She really did. She pulled me out of a very dark place. She's, she's amazing. Um, 
So you were married for how many years at that point? Seven. Very biblical. Just seven, trying to work out. That's seven, seven years. years. Okay. Boom, conversion. And then seven years later, boom, boom, first baby, only baby. You know, like it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, not, it didn't keep going that way with seven-year increments, but I've often thought about that. Can no. I, uh, is your husband Catholic? Did no, he, he was or, raised or by two he... lapsed no? Catholics and okay. was raised with no faith. And to this day, he doesn't profess any religious faith. But we've come a very long way. And there's so many okay. signs of grace. And he's dear, uh, such a good man. And I can talk about my faith with him. He's very, very kind about it. And he does miss that, that, so that, That's interesting because I, I imagine so many um, marriages would be similar if one... one um, spouse has found God or, or is generally journeying in their faith, deepening their faith, and the other one hasn't really made that step. And and it can be sometimes very difficult because you're not journeying together on the same path, spiritually speaking. And uh, um, I, I can imagine that would have been difficult. And, and, and you're not alone. I mean, there are many in that situation. Um, but uh, it's great that just to hear your story, how, what, any, any advice here, because you've been doing it for so long now, I mean, with, um, for those in this situation who might feel like, oh, you know, you're trying to convert this spouse. And, and, and sometimes uh, that, that can be a cause of friction or tension in a marriage. And um, how, how have you, just, just on this topic, how have yeah, you managed I'll say managed the wives out there, tread with great tenderness because a, a Catholic fellow I know who's also a coach told me we had a little meeting together because there's very unique ways of coaching with men. Men really need a different kind of coaching, and that's as God designed. And But as we were talking, he said, I'll tell you the one thing that most men tell me in the privacy of coaching is that they feel like they're not good enough for their wives. And that shocked me. I immediately started crying because I thought of, gosh, all the times in the early part of our marriage, even before my conversion, that just on some level, he wasn't good enough because he wasn't Catholic. And I wasn't really thinking it consciously. But I remember looking back at a certain point and the scales just fell from my eyes and I realized that there was an undercurrent. That because he wasn't, because we didn't share it, that there was always going to be something wrong and something missing. And um, so I guess there's a couple of things I would say about that. One is to pray your heart out every day and to love the heck out of your spouse. Love them up and down. And I even have asked my the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has advocated for me at critical times when I've been falsely accused or something was said and then people just knew somehow like the Holy Spirit like unveiled the falsehood and and I was vindicated like there have been a couple of remarkable moments when he's been my advocate and so I've asked him to advocate to me for my husband so that I can be so it can be revealed to me every day the goodness of this good man you know, to not take my eye off of that because it's very easy for us to pick each other to death and to think about nothing but disappointments and all the expectations and romantic yes. ideas that we come into marriage with and how, oh, that didn't happen. And look at that marriage, which looks so good on the outside. And those people seem to have it all. With this social media culture, we can really compare equals despair. Have we heard that one? Bad road to go down. The enemy loves it. Mm -hmm. So there's another thing that keeps coming up. As a coach, I hear the hearts of so many people struggling with something similar. And one of the things that I've heard some of my clients say is, I'm, I know God is calling me deeper. He wants me to be a lot more holy. And, and I'm, I feel like I'm right at this moment of I need to just fully say yes, but here's what I'm afraid of. My spouse is way behind me spiritually. They're either not in the church or they're not very mature spiritually or whatever it might be. I'm afraid it's going to take us even farther apart. And I want to assure everybody listening, the holier you get, the closer you will be. God will show you. God will make you more loving, more merciful, more available, more present to your spouse. God will work miracles. Just keep saying yes to God. That doesn't mean you rub your spouse's nose in it and sing hymns around the house 24-7, right? We're not, we don't want to be weirdos with our spouses. But that doesn't mean you should bite your tongue either and not say God bless you or say grace at meals or, or tell them that you thank God for them every day or even, ask, or even say, doesn't God make a beautiful sunrise? You mean, like We can be who we are without rubbing people's yeah. noses in it and having a false sense of being better than other people. So I would just say, don't be afraid that you're on different tracks. God, if God is calling you, say yes without delay. And I resisted this until I had to learn it the hard way. I learned everything the hard way. So please don't think this is easy. 
or that I'm saying it should be easy for you. Very good. Uh, that's um, that that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh, that's going to go a long way. And, uh, there's so much here. <laughs> uh, I want to do, but I still want to. I still want to. Uh, there's a few more things in your little uh, intro there. I want to. I want to unpack uh, um, before as a jumping forward um, to the coaching part because it's. I, I think you're already given a bit of a taste of what people can expect, uh, which is powerful. Um, but just, just I, I'm curious. Um, in in the um, you, you said you lived through the 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 60s and the 70s and what what the culture was like then. Um, uh, we, you know, you, you can almost like look back, look back, and you can sort of say that that decade in the 60s was clearly <laughs> sexual revolution. You saw, it, you, yeah. you could see exactly what's going on. We we also then saw the, the church in a in a in a big way trying to. Um, I guess be more trying to be more appealing in a way, and 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 uh, and not challenge people, and sort of just welcome everyone. It's on on one hand, it, it did a, it was trying to be nice, but uh, but in in trying to be nice, uh, it didn't really speak up the truth in all that, and and call out people's, um, put them to a standard, and and so that's what was missing, I guess, right through the 60s, 70s, even today. I mean, it's widespread. This is not a local problem this is a global problem uh where we've had in our church um and i'm so glad you touched on it because that's why we exist i mean perusia and many of these uh independent ministries apostolates exist to proclaim the truth and to share the fullness of the catholic faith and sometimes it does rub people the wrong way sometimes it does challenge in fact it is a challenging message but that's the beauty of it we're not here to um i guess sugarcoat it all it, it's the truth it's the entire truth, but there's good news. It might be tough to begin with, but once you accept it, once you embrace it, there's a freedom that no one really can describe. It, the, the, the truth transforms you, right? And I could see it, it, it's happened in your life. And there's an initial disappointment, isn't there? Um, like, I've been let down. The church has let me down. Or the, the, the priests, the leaders, the, the, the people. And a lot of people can sort of go two ways here. Some can go to one extreme and sort of, just have no hope and uh, and just sort of think give up and and you were on the brink of that you were about to turn turn your back on the church um, and many people who wanted to stay in the church but just constantly tell the church how to how to do things and be greater than I guess the Pope if you like so there's one extreme of how to deal with it but there's another where we the other extreme is um, sort of putting on the blinkers and just ignoring that there is a problem that there clearly is a problem <laughs> there's a problem where we're still not teaching yeah. formation. Um, we're not evangelizing. We've we, we really got a lot to do. But I think your work, uh, the work we're trying to do at Paris is critical. Could you speak to a bit about that? There's a lot of pain here in our church still till today. Many people living through the 60s, 70s, 80s um, and just have felt let down. What what did you do to, I guess, build that trust again and build that hope again? Yeah. God had to win me back through mystery. Uh, he gave me a taste for mystery by working little wonders before my eyes one was that i i was walking on the grounds of that little shrine where i stayed the, that for that actually eight days and i was weeping bitterly and i i ended up and it was in the evening was i was all alone it was at night i was walking under the stars and i came to a statue of our lady of la salette and i stood there in front of this almost life-size sorry life-size um little statue and just looking into her face and even though I knew nothing about Mary I couldn't take my eyes off her face and I just poured out my heart to her wailing like if anybody heard this crazy woman on the hill wailing out loud and talking to the statue you know I'm sure they kept their distance like I didn't see anybody um but I just poured it all on I don't know for how long but by the end of it like I was a mess but then I felt very still for the first time probably since childhood I mean a stillness an unbelievable stillness, and I heard words spoken into my heart that were not my own for the first time in my life. And I heard her say, go see my son. So I'm going to cry, but that's okay. We're wow. all friends here. So I went down those little steps and yes. then up the <laughs> large, bigger steps to this gigantic, larger-than-life-size crucifix. And and I knew, this was one little thing I happened to know, a little factoid, that I that those steps were for penitents to go up on their knees. Somehow I knew that. So I stomped up those stairs. I was so mad at Jesus. In fact, before this little retreat, I didn't even know it was a retreat, I used to pray with my fist in the air. And if I could have physically attacked God, I would have. That is how bitter I was. I believed in God, but I hated 
Wow. And it wow. hurts me to say that out loud, but I did because because I was misunderstanding who he was and not understanding pain and all that stuff. So I walk up to the, the foot of that cross and I let him have it. And I did it all again. That whole thing that I just vented at Our Lady, I did it again. And then I stood there and I waited for him to speak to me. She just did. So I stood there looking up at that cross. All right, let's go. Nothing. Silent. So I was like, right. And I turned around and I walked down those steps and I went back to the dormitory and I went to sleep. Well, the next morning I woke up and that corrosive, like physically painful bitterness that I'd carried in my gut for years was gone. And I knew the moment I awoke and it was gone well, that I had been healed and that it was Jesus who had healed me. No question in my mind, I knew it. And so I went to a little retreat while I was there, and I went to confession for the first time since I was probably a kid. And the, the healings just started to accelerate. Well, a day or two later, I'll tell you one more story, because there were lots of little signs, but this one was pretty neat. And you talked about being yeah. won over to the trust the church again, right? Um, well, trust Jesus was the big one for me. But anyway, so... I felt like God one morning was just telling me to get in my rental car. Now, all I knew at that time, I had printed directions from the rental car place to the shrine, like you're driving like this. This was before nav. So I was, that's how I got in there. I didn't know the area at all. I just knew the, where how to get to the on-ramp to the highway. So I felt like God said, get in the car and drive. So I did. I didn't know what I was doing. I got in the car and I just started driving. And I started to sense, go left, go straight, go straight, go straight, go right. Yeah, and, and I was just driving all over time. I had no idea where I was going. And then at a certain point, I felt he said to me, turn right. And I looked. And it's a very slightly scary looking dirt road into the woods. And I'm thinking, really? But I know for without doubt that he's saying go down that road. So I turn and I'm like bumping over the ruts and driving my rental car through the woods. And then suddenly come around the bend and there up on the hill is the back of the shrine. I had no idea where I was, and he brought me safely home. He told me by showing me, by walking with me, by taking me on a little trust exercise, I will bring you safely home. I will never forget that as long as I live. It's just as vivid today, 30 years later. Wow. That's beautiful. It's a... Uh... Yeah, our Lord's hand was with you, our Lady's mantle was over you. I mean, the whole, yeah. this is beautiful. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Thank God you really got that. my attention. Can, can I? Um, Sorry, go ahead, Charbel. Absolutely. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, were you, just career-wise, I'm, I'm just curious, because you were, you at that time, your, your worldview before this 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 transformation, you you know, you want to be famous, you wanted to... Um, you, you, and you were, you, you, you made some, could you, any sort of success stories in the secular world? I mean, and, and, and then did you have much to give up, I guess, uh, um, in the transformation and the way you lived, you know, through marriage and, um, but you know, as a, as a young, young adult coming through your career, what was that like? What you did quite a few things as well. You were, you were, um, busy in, in, in pursuing, you know, your dream, but then you were so bitter yeah. as well when, yeah. Is, it, is there something in that? Things did not go well. I was a very starry-eyed, starstruck young person. I used to make Oscar speeches in the bathroom mirror. I, I really wanted the world's love. You know, I was one of six. I was kind of right in the middle, maybe a, neglected, but certainly not cultivated as an individual. Right? I was part of the team. I was always a good team player. But I just had this hunger to be recognized and appreciated and loved. And so... I just thought that was going to make me happy. And so I was in this crazy world, and, and I was fortunate not to have any really terrible experiences, but that whole Me Too thing with the acting world is very true. The casting couch is real. There were some passes. There were some icky experiences. Um, I'm, I'm almost six feet tall, so that makes me hard to cast as a woman, especially in theater. Um, but so I had my struggles there, so I ended up kind of on the fringes doing independent films little new plays and readings, a lot of improvisation, comedy stuff. I started writing my own one-woman shows. So there's stuff that I'm proud of that God like yeah. opened enough doors for me to have some rich experiences and to experience stretching those capabilities. But I can see now looking back because I never really got anywhere. 
to speak of. No one was ever going to, I was using my maiden name at the time, Lisa Kirkwood. And um, like, it didn't become a well-known name, believe me. Uh, I was just always on the fringes and always struggling and wishing I was five foot two, you know, and a dancer or something, because it seemed like all the girls I knew that fit that profile were the ones getting all the work. And so, um, but God, I, I love to say when I give my testimony that I wasted so much of my life in bitterness and frustration and stuff from our family of origin, some painful things, but also college experiences and an assault that I experienced in college. And I was in so much pain that I brought into my marriage and it made it very difficult for me to have any confidence in myself. And so I was always kind of shooting myself in the foot, giving up on things too easily. It was just kind of a mess. So by the time I hit rock bottom, everything was a mess. My career was going nowhere. My marriage was in a mess. And as I've said, 38 years now, and praise God, we've come a very long way. I'm glad we hung in there. I'm amazed we hung in there in the early years because we had a lot to contend with just within ourselves. But I, I just wasn't good at anything. That's why I was so fed up. Not I was infertile. I was unhappy. I felt like everybody had let me down. And so that's what happens when you don't understand that there's value in suffering. When you don't understand that you can come to the Lord and offer it to him, that he can meet you there, that he never abandons you. Uh, we went through so many things after my conversion that could have crushed my spirit and crushed my faith. But it just drew me closer to God because now I was receiving him every day and confessing my sins and he was healing my life and opening my eyes to him working all around me, all the stuff I was blind to before. I like to say that unconfessed sin creates spiritual noise. It's like having your TV and radio and everything turned up full blast while this gentle stranger never stops gently knocking at the door, but you cannot hear him. And you think he's abandoned you, but he's been there all along. He's right there, just waiting for you to open the door. And so once I started confessing my sins, my gosh, I started to see parts of my life being healed that I had no idea were connected with those sins. I just noticed greater trust in my marriage when I started confessing my sins of impurity. I started to notice that when I started to at least try to forgive people, that I watched chains falling off them spiritually. I saw them start to thrive more. I watched them just coming out of their own shells and reaching back to me. I mean, it was amazing what God was doing before my eyes, but I didn't have the spiritual vision to see any of it until I started to come back and confess my sins and get healed. Because you can't even receive the fullness of God's healing power in the Eucharist if you're holding on to those sins. C.S. Lewis, who as many of you, know, you out there know is a, was a great Protestant, but um, he wrote a series of essays called, uh, in a, that's in a book called The Weight of Glory. And in one of them, he says that the sins that we hold on to are the dead places in our hearts, the dead places in our hearts. Mm. And I had a wow. lot of that. It was like yes. my heart was full of coal, you know, like a bad kid's stocking at Christmas time. And and so as I started to be able to let let him lift those out of me and, and be in, you know, be with me more and more in the Eucharist, everything changed. And I realized, you know, that that uh, amazing grace where you say I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see I always like to say I was blind and now my sight is improving it's getting better all the time yes fantastic wow the power of confession now uh, it's a great testimony just on that because many people don't give it a chance there are people that just stop and 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 I guess what is that block uh, some people might say oh, look I um uh, there's, there's a temptation to say, look, I, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't uh, I haven't done many major things. So why do I need to go to a priest to, to save, save the, my sins? But there is a healing aspect to this. And Jesus knew this. I mean, the grace in this sacrament, there's, there's layers to it. It's not just talking to a priest or a stra um he, There is that component where he's hearing you, but there's something about hearing those words, I absolve you from your sins. There's something about literally admitting the fault and then there is definitely healing after you walk out yeah wow it's lifted so i mean thanks for sharing i want i think it's important catholics need to highlight the beauty of confession it's not a it's not a negative thing is it it's not a it's not a um we, we see it as like oh what a chore and, and, and it, it may initially sound that way but once you go through it wow it's yeah a, it's always going to be awkward and embarrassing i just want to say that round of the gut. i love confession but i don't love going yeah. to confession <laughs> um, it, as we know from the teachings of the church, it's an encounter with Christ. It's the priest who 
it, it, his hands are anointed. He's given the faculties to hear and to give us absolution. But he says it in the name of Christ, who is there present with you in the confessional. It is Jesus who absolves and heals you. Be, make no mistake. And and so when you're when you're there, you are with Jesus. And now it is a particularly awkward for me because I'm a weeper. You know, I'll go in there and be like, yeah, Father, I'm not. And it's so embarrassing for me because I can't help it. I won't. <laughs> and, you know, if something is really bothering me, I'm going to cry. You know, and these poor, you know, priests, some of whom barely speak English, you know, we get these absolutely wonderful missionary priests. And I've got this weeping woman on the other side of the screen. So um, I'm not saying it's easy, but go. I, I promise you, if you humble yourself, it will become a joy for you in the sense that when you take responsibility, you become so much more powerful. When I was always a victim, I was weak. I was really worthless in my own eyes. I was just powerless. I had no control over my own life. But when I started to take responsibility, man, I, I just started to walk in a whole other way. And God started using me to minister to others right away. I didn't have to be like perfectly holy or know a lot about the faith. God started using me immediately. As soon as I made room for him, he started moving. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. That's to go to confession. There it is. I think it's it's, it's a healing, it's the healing sacrament. And it's the first step, isn't it? In many, um, uh, in any program as well, admitting that you have a problem or admitting fault. Or, and Jesus' public words, his first public words are repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is that. So it's, it's sort of, this is the model and this is it. Um, now, I'd, I'd, I'd love to j uh, talk about now your, I mean, your coaching, uh, it's a ministry, isn't it? I mean, the coaching ministry. I'm hearing um, different things. And, and, and could you just, I guess, tell me the difference between, I guess, life coaching and say, is, is it basically another form of counseling? And is it different again to say psychology, <laughs> like a, a psychologist uh, is doing? What's the difference? Life coaching, how would you sum it up? That's a fantastic question, and it's a question that I answer frequently with potential clients. I will say, not my my coaching isn't strictly speaking ministry, but in the in the sense that God is present, that we're tabernacles of God's presence in the work that we do, He ministers through it. So I will say that, and that I rely very heavily on the Holy Spirit. I invite Him in; He does the heavy lifting. He's the one creating transformation, bringing about powerful epiphanies. I'm utilizing my skills, and they're very particular professional skills, but I'm making sure that I'm very sensitive and attuned to and prayerful before and after every session, and I'm lifting up my clients all the time in morning prayer, at the rosary, at mass. So it's really important to understand that it's a really good skill set, and it's powerful, but when we combine it with our faith and sacramental life, it can blow your hair back. Okay, so... So we're talking about the differences between coaching and counseling. So here's a, there's some simple ways to talk about it. Coaching is not healing. Coaching is about growth and forward movement. It's, it's facing forward. Whereas counseling, you do have to do a lot of work looking to the past. What have you experienced and how have you felt about it and how is it affecting you now? And the goal is to get the person healed enough so that they're standing in the present. So that they're not completely locked down in the past or constantly tripping over the past and, and and those wounds can make it very difficult to advance in all sorts of ways in life spiritually emotionally etc because it's like trying to run up a greased slide the pain drains away a lot of your ability to move forward okay so so counseling and uh therapy done by the right people with the right kinds of values right we want to be careful about who we are vulnerable um, can be extraordinary. Yeah, and I've certainly point. had enough of it myself and it's done me a world of good. Um, I have, you know, had PTSD and all of these things from past experiences, and I have been very grateful for those skills. So I will say that. But that is, let's just say to simplify, looking in the rearview mirror in order to be healed. You're healing the past, whereas coaching looks forward. So the way we talk about it, um, we, where we differentiate between coaching, counseling, and mentoring, or maybe even spiritual direction, as we, we use a little sort of a metaphor. Somebody comes to you and says, I'd like to learn how to ride a bicycle. And the therapist might say, oh, well, what were the attitudes of your family of origin toward bicycle riding? What are your experiences with locomotion? You know, like they're going to want to know what's been in the past that needs to be resolved so that you can ride that bicycle well. 
so that you can determine whatever needs to be determined and live and live forward. The mentor will say, oh yeah, great. You want to learn how to ride a bicycle? I've been riding since I was six years old. Let me show you how I ride. And they will teach you and help you to learn what they know. They'll accelerate your learning by passing on what they know. Same with teachers. Or a spiritual director might say, oh, where's God in this desire to ride a bicycle? What is, what is he saying to you? And what's your prayer life like? And they'll take you into that whole space of your relationship with God. Now, there's a little overlap with coaching there because people often in the trusting, safe space of coaching will confide about their spiritual lives, and God certainly comes up. But the coach will say to the person who wants to learn how to ride the bike, where would you like to go? And what kinds of adventures is God calling you to have? So there's this sense of vision calling you forward. What's drawing you forward? What do you have to learn? Who do you have to become in order to fulfill that vision? Uh, what, who might help you? Uh, what are the steps? And that's just the very superficial surface of just how good coaching can be. Faith-based coaching, prayerful coaching, can be a remarkable dance with the Holy Spirit, as I've said. There are moments where God just, it's like he shines a little bit of a light on a word. And I just say, maybe I pause you for a moment. Someone's talking about something. They've just skimmed past something. There's no question that light went on. And I'll say, what does that word mean to you? And all of a sudden, the person's in tears. They're having an epiphany. Oh, it means this to me. And oh, yeah, I've been using that word all my life. And here's a, that person's always said that to me. And, and, you know, it's like these things that are stuck to them that they can't see for themselves. You're just really gently calling attention to thought patterns and, and things that they say and things that are, are rich. You can just sense that they're rich. And you might just pause them and, and go a little deeper. So it's, you know, like St. Catherine of Siena. I said famously, if you are who you should be, you'll set the world on fire, right? And, and Christ said, I came to set the world on fire, how I wish it were already burning. And saints like Teresa of Avila said, the first room of the interior castle is self-knowledge, and that we cannot progress in the spiritual life without knowing ourselves. And so coaching helps us to go into that deep place, not to speak for faith-based coaching, because I know, know a lot of Protestant Christian coaches who are superb as well. But there's a lot of great Catholic coaches out there doing phenomenal work of helping the person to hear their authentic self. That self that gets covered over by wounds and mislabeling and bad experiences and all that stuff. It's not the healing work. It's letting the authentic self speak. And in that process, especially with prayerful people, they start to sense the leading of God much more palpably. And as they step into new ways of being, there are times when God grace, God's grace does activate into that new place, that new way of being, a new perspective letting go of old limiting mindsets and things like that, where God will bring about some healing. But that's not the coach. That does happen sometimes, but that is in God's hands. We are not healers. So just to be clear about that, we're about growth and forward movement. But yeah, when you have faith and coaching skill, God does extraordinarily beautiful. I love that. Thank you very much. That's very practical the way you did that. And um, that, that's helped me a lot, <laughs> just to understand the differences there. Um, that's, that's powerful. Um, can I ask, uh, I mean, uh, yourself, uh, you touched on um, a bit of prayer life and I love to just, uh, we, we chatted offline a bit. Uh, I'd love to know a bit about your spirituality, prayer life, and then, and then I'd like to talk about, I guess, an exciting uh, announcement, what you're preparing <laughs> uh, to launch very soon. But uh, can we touch a bit about your personal um, prayer life? Because I think it's wonderful um, uh, what you're doing and, and, and it, it, I think any opportunity to promote what you, you're doing in your prayer life is a good opportunity to just invite people to explore these other ways of prayer. And could you touch on a bit about that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, well, I'm to, to put it simply, I'm in just completing my first year of Carmelite formation as a third order contact. So that means I had to learn how to use my breviary with all the ribbons and things and do morning prayer and evening prayer and night prayer, things like that. And it's been like a banquet for my soul. But what happened is that I've been asking God about it for years. I've gone to Opus Dei meetings. I've gone to, I had been to a Carmelite meeting. I, I was interested in what, you know, maybe Dominicans and Benedictines and all these different things. I've always had friends that are third orders and I've always admired that. But I never felt called. And then last year, I was getting the itch just to ask some questions. And I started to talk to my friend who was already a year or two ahead of me in formation and we're both writers and we're both coaches. And so we had a lot in common. And, uh, and so I asked her about it, and she started to talk about how the charisms of Carmelites, while there's a lot about service, too, 
it, it can be summed up as presence with love. And I just started weeping because that's what it is to be a Catholic coach, to be fully present to someone in that place of love, in that place of God. So I just immediately spoke to my soul. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what, how can I learn more? And then the more I looked at it, I found out that so many of the things that God had placed in my life and made important to me were Carmelite things. When I had my conversion at that shrine 30 some odd years ago, I got introduced to my first saint, my first saint, somebody that had done her master's thesis on St. Therese of Lisieux, a Carmelite saint, one of the great Carmelite saints and doctor of the church. Wow. The little flower, <laughs> never heard yes. of it. And I started praying the rosary. Okay, so those two things together, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, I had never heard of it. That one of my favorite Bible stories for many years now, a couple of them, are, have to do with Elijah. Elijah calling down fire on that soaking wet altar after he's goaded the pagans and trying to get their gods to light their altar, right? And then oof, God lights it all up. It's soaking wet and he lights it up and everything is thrown in disarray. The pagan priests are slaughtered and then so the bad guys are chasing Elijah up into the mountains. He ends up on and so he's in a cave on the mountain. Actually, this the, that other miracle may have actually happened on Mount Carmel, but he runs and hides in a cave. So he's there, and, he, and there's that famous yes. story where God says, I'm going to pass by. And so he hears the, you know, the earthquake, and the fire, and the great wind, but God was not in the tumult, in the cacophony of the world. It's a soft, silent sound, a little whisper in which he knows God has spoken to him. He covers his face and comes to the entrance of the cave, and then God upbraids him riding from his mission. It's a really funny story, ultimately, but there's that silence, that gentleness of the voice of God again. And so little did I know that that was Mount Carmel, and that all the early hermits who were the first Carmelites were there because he was their spiritual father. Those were really important Bible study stories for me. Elijah was important to me already. Teresa of Avila was important to me. I hadn't studied John of the Cross or some of the others, but Teresa Benedicta, I didn't even know she was a Carmelite. So there was, and I have lots of other favorite saints too, but there were all these things that I started to find out once I got more information and realized that God had been kind of whispering that Carmelite charism to me for a long time, even in my profession. It all just fit and fell into place. And then I'll tell you one more thing because I'm going online. But when I first came to the, Car the Carmel where my friend was being formed, there were about 25 very elderly people, for the most part. P the people of varying ages, but mostly elderly people. They had been about 50 before COVID. Their numbers were decimated. And at the time that I came in, I was one of seven people, all between kind of like, I would say, 40s up to 60s, kind of mid-range ages, much, much younger than the rest of most of the rest of the people there, who suddenly came in, seven of us. Again, there's that biblical number, and there were a couple a little ahead of us, so nine. Um, all these kind of, this kind of fresh horses coming in. But I had this palpable sense in this quiet little persevering community of people that just praying together, doing a little Lexio Divina, having a little lesson. It was really sweet and simple. It wasn't anything you'd sell tickets to. This was a real quiet little experience, very sweet. But what I knew, and I still, I feel like it was a word of knowledge from the Lord, was that their perseverance, those sweet people, praying their liturgy of the hours every day, their rosary, getting to mass, confessing their sins, had prayed me there. That I owed it to them that I was there and that I was in the company of saints. And my formation director for this first year, a lovely older lady who walks with a walker, I felt God say to me on the way to her house one day, this is your Carmelite saint. And when I told her, I just watched her Ha just have a moment with the Lord. Like, I just feel there's so much love and so much tenderness when you find your path, your spiritual path at the right time, at the right moment. It just becomes, uh, it just accelerates everything. It just has taken everything even deeper. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you gave a bit of a background about the, um, the um, Elijah there and it came out Carmel. And because I, I um, have you been, I didn't realize, but it's actually I've never in been the Holy to the Land. Holy Land. And I remember you can go to Mount Carmel. It's a beautiful spot overseeing the ocean. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of history there. And, and we got enrolled in the, um, or re I guess renewed in the scapula, there's the, the brown scapula, um, St. Simon's stock. But it, it's there in the, in the original, there's a, there's a church right on the top of the hill. It's got <laughs> breathtaking views. Um, and it's like, wow, I didn't, it didn't occur to me that 
uh, you hear about a later Mount Carmel a lot, or the Carmelites. I didn't know it was there in the Holy Land, right where you can you can touch it. And we can see the, the original place. It was like, wow, I can't believe this. <laughs> so just it's just bringing back memories of that recent um, pilgrimage we did less than a year ago, and uh, I highly recommend if people can get there, um, the, the Carmelite monastery. Wow, um, on Mount Carmel, it's it. There's a physical place you can go. So now to say that Elijah was there and all that, it's like, oh my goodness, it's there is so much history. It's amazing what God <laughs> wow. daring in but, the places. I, I like you got to stand there. That just gives me the Holy Spirit. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> until nine months ago that you can do that. You got to you can go to Carmel. It's just beautiful. But can you touch on? Um, I'd like to highlight the, the, so the spirituality of a of a third order Carmel. So you're not. What what is that? What 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 what's involved when you become a third order? Well, I well of it is basically that when there were, you know, eventually there were Carmelite monasteries and things like that. And the people locally would see the beauty of the spiritual lives of these religious orders where there were Benedictines or Carmelites and want to be like them and want to live the way they live. And so these third orders sprang up around monasteries, typically in the local towns, where people would start to pray the liturgy of the hours at the same times as the monks and the nuns and, and, and live more of a life of service and holiness. So they were conforming themselves to a degree, even though they were living in their own location. And so that's just kind of the short history of it. So as a Carmelite, my vocation is still to marriage and family. I'm never going to wear a habit. Um, I've, I've worn the scapular for many years before I even knew it was a Carmelite thing. Isn't that weird? Like, like that's weird too. But um, yeah, so as far as what it is to be a third order, it means you're a late person. You're not a priest or a, or a religious. You're living in the calling that God has given you, but your relationship with God is deepening through a particular spirituality. And like typically Dominicans are preachers, like it's an order of preachers. And my, both my friend and I who are in it together, and she's a little ahead of me, we both have done a lot of public speaking. So we kind of scratched our heads and laughed about the fact that we're not Dominican, but actually the suits us perfectly. And it's just a funny kind of a mysterious thing. You you. You join with the Carmelites in prayer every day through the liturgy of the hours. And if I pray it late, like sometimes I didn't get to my morning prayer till the afternoon, but I'll pray and I'll think of and pray for the Carmelites in different time zones who are praying their morning prayer and join with them. Beautiful. What what is that, by the way? It, I, I think it's uh, some of it's it's the church's best kept secret, uh, the divine office or the, the liturgy of the hours. Can you just quickly touch on that and, yeah, and uh, what's called, involved? the dry mass, because it literally is an extension of the liturgy at the daily mass. You notice there are similar themes to the mass readings of the day. It'll celebrate the same saint of the day and all of that. But typically you start the morning with psalms, and the psalms are so rich. I was reading, um, I think it was St. Augustine, I can't remember, one of the saints, or maybe it was Athanasius, said that um, one of the, oh no, it was John Chrysostom. I'm going to be all over the place, sorry. I can never keep anything straight in my head. I, I read too much all the time, and I can't remember. But the upshot is this, that the Psalms become a mirror for your soul. You're able to experience your own emotions in the beautiful, tender, and sometimes deep, and sometimes agonizing emotions of the Psalms. So those are some of the greatest prayers of the church, are these Psalms. So you're praying them at various times of the day, but you also get readings. In the morning, you get the office of readings, and you typically get a letter from St. Paul. Oh, it's just so beautiful, such great spiritual direction. It also often aligns with what I do for a living. He talks about the unique members of the body, each of them, you know, having a unique role to play and all of that, like that's yes. right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I dearly love St. Paul in lots of ways. And then there's something from one of the father, fathers of the church, typically, one of the early popes or, you know, typically St. Popes, but, um, but also other early writers of the church. And you get something really deep that's on that theme for the day. And then there are other little prayers and things, and there's music. There are opportunities to sing. You can get a Divine Office app uh, on your phone and the most beautiful singers yes. and, and that sing the psalms. Like that's how they were intended to be. They were intended to be sung. So in monasteries, they would chant them, you know, glory be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, just beautiful. So you can, I, I sometimes, my husband will hear me sometimes singing downstairs because I creep down early. You go do my morning prayers in the quiet <laughs> of the house. And uh, he says, you can hear me singing sometimes. I love. Uh, thank you for sharing. I, I really hope and encourage lay people. It's not just a, a a prayer for religious, but if lay people can pick up the psalms, pick up the divine office liturgy, 
the app is, is a great one, Divine Office app, it's free, um, and people can just participate. And it doesn't take long. I mean, it's not, some some people, it's not it's not that much of a chore. I mean, for 10 minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes, it depends how much you want to, I guess, meditate and, and expand that. But, but you know, r- roughly 10, 15 minutes, a um, few times a day. And I think it's a beautiful way to start and end the day and, and just sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, structure the day around that prayer. And it's a beautiful part of of our prayer life and part of the church's tradition. Um, yeah, so thank you. I'm glad we touched on it because I think uh, it can, it needs to be promoted a bit more, I think. <laughs> We've got to promote those, the divine oh, office yeah. and Liturgy so of the powerful. Hours. And um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, the only other thing I would say too is that I tend to be a workaholic. I love what I do. And I could practically work nonstop 24-7 if I didn't need to sleep. I love it. But God slows me down with the Liturgy of the Hours. And I noticed that everything that was worrying me becomes clearer and simpler when I've spent time in prayer, when I've really given him my time. He changes time for me. He changes the temperature of my life. And so I would say, you know, and also just as when I first started to pray the rosary, when I first started to pray, and it's still the case often, not every single day, but often, I have to have something next to me to write on because so much sparks in the liturgy of the hours you just something connects and you have a realization you have a flash i gotta write that down you know so it's it's very rich wow that's beautiful thank you amen now uh, you've got a bit of a uh, exciting announcement uh something that you're you're launching could you could you touch on that uh, um about what what some exciting announcements yeah, uh, so in much. the near future um i'm as I've mentioned, and it's kind of all gibberish using these acronyms, but ICF alignment means that you're very professional and have a lot of training and that you're held to certain standards. And And I trained at PCCI, the Professional Christian Coaching Institute. I started training there in 2018, but it was just a couple of years ago that I was asked to lead a cohort for just Catholic students. And so we've had three cohorts so far, and it's been extraordinary doing the highest professional quality of training, you know, using the coursework that is approved by the ICF, but also because it's PCCI, also has a dropped anchor in biblical principles. It's incredibly rich. But then when we Catholicize it, woo, blow your hair back. Not only is it exciting to teach, but the Catholic students with their faith who come in and experience this material Catholicize it further. They speak into it powerfully because the Holy Spirit's moving in our class, right? So we get to be Catholics together. And a, this PCCI is a global, very diverse Christian community in over 90 countries. They've been training people for over 20 years. It's a virtual school. So they train people all over the place, missionaries and corporate executives and you name it, just people who are believers. And many Catholics have gone through there. But Chris noticed, Chris the, McCluskey, the owner of, of PCCI, noticed that Catholics were a little quiet around Protestants at times because there are certain things we, we wouldn't talk about Our Lady or Adoration probably in front of them because the room might go quiet. You know, not that they're they're really nice people, but they might be like, oh, oh, that's a Catholic over there. So it can make you feel a little funny sometimes, even though the school is totally ecumenical and always has been very welcoming to Catholics. But he just said, I'd like them to have their foundational training, this big flagship course of theirs with Catholics, taught by Catholics, let their hair down, make their connections between them and have collaborative and prayer partners, like have that beginning and then be able to spot each other in the room in their other courses when they do their advanced training. And so I was like, Heck, yeah. But then I had to find students. So I had to go on podcasts and place ads and do all kinds of things on social media to let people know it was happening. So we've had three successful cohorts, and we are having another one in the fall. The demand is such that we are launching another cohort October 18th. It's going to be a Wednesday night, at least in the U.S. it will be. It would be a Thursday morning for folks on your side of the okay. world, Charbel. Uh, 7 yes, to 9 Eastern, right. and it's a 15-week course. It gets you a big chunk of the way toward your credential, your first credential, and um, and there's it gives you a lot of opportunity to practice coaching skills, to learn the learning and growth models, to get to hear and watch uh, coaching demonstrations and to participate in demonstrations. It's a very rich experience, and it's truly excellent. And so it's just very exciting to me just see how every cohort has been really distinctive. And we've already got a bunch of people enrolled for October that are spectacular. And here's one other thing I'll tell you, that Chris McCluskey and his wife, Rachel, are big pro-life warriors. 
They've been training in every cohort. We train frontline pregnancy counselors as well and directors of crisis pregnancy centers. And those people go back to those centers and teach coaching techniques to their colleagues. They go from about a 28% save rate on average to very close to 100% very rapidly. Why? Because coaches learn how to listen and invite and create a safe space. Someone walks in with a crisis pregnancy, they're in their amygdala, they're freaked out, they're scared, and you start to try to push resources on them and they start to back away. They get scared, they get even more locked down in their fear. But when people start to take a coach approach of inviting, listening, gently asking questions, helping the other person self-explore, those women and young men, and sometimes the grandparents too, get to a point where they hear themselves say, I want my baby, it's just that fill in the blank. There's no money, or my boyfriend will leave me, or I'd have to drop out of school, or whatever it is. And then they'll say, can you help me? And then you can track with them, and then you don't lose them. Then now you're in relationship. And sometimes they'll come back repeatedly to talk to those coaches, those crisis pregnancy coaches, because they know somebody's really listening in a way they've never been listened to before in their lives. And, I've, and I experienced this, and other students from lots of different walks of life, we train entrepreneurs and educators and nurses and lawyers and you name it, people from all walks of life, very devout Catholics who love Our Lady. I believe this is part of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. This work is starting to really flourish in the church. Um, but they'll say to me, my relationships are getting better. My marriage is improving because I'm taking a listening approach. I'm starting to draw out from other people rather than talk at. I'm not trying to justify myself. I'm trying to really hear the other person in a new way. So it's, it's just beautiful work to be doing. And whether people want to be professional coaches or not, or they want to use coaching in their ministries, or just incorporate those skills into the work they're already called to do, it's just going to level them up even more. It's, it's, these are the kind of, this is the skill set of our time, is in leadership development, in team building, in ministries, in large, um, you know, kind of marriage enrichment and personal development. There's so many different spheres and so many countless niches, from ADHD to parenting to you name it, um, it's really becoming, it's the wave is starting to crest. It's starting to find acceptance in the church and in dioceses where priests and, and ministry leaders are getting trained in coaching. They're seeing a remarkable shift, much better relationships, better teams, and deeper satisfaction in people's vocation because their personal, unique, and unrepeatable personal vocation inside that bigger vocation starts to flourish. Well, I like how you said it. It's the ministry of our time. It's the ministry of our time. It's much, very much new. So how do we know about the course? Where do they go? What, what's, is there a link we can direct people to? Um, the, probably the easiest thing to do would be to go to my website. So I'll give you two options. Wonderfullymade139.com. You can just click on training and everything's there. You can meet to talk with me. You can click through and look at the course. There's a training page. To make it more complicated for you, you could go to professionalchristiancoaching.com forward slash Catholic. It's not on the main page. It's just like the, you know, it's very similar to the, the course taught by the Protestants, except we Catholicize it. Um, but it's on a private page. It's not forward facing. Um, so it will be professionalchristiancoaching.com forward slash Catholic, and that will take you to the private page. And I will put that link in the description below. Make sure people can get that. That's fantastic. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. And, and that, that website, you are contactable there. People can reach out to you. Yeah. At wonderfullymade139.com, you can reach me. You can make an appointment with me. You can find the course link as well. So everything's there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you do have a, 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 a podcast series um, separate to the homeschooling. Uh, can you touch on that as well uh, just before we go? Sure. Thank you so much. It's called Talent Talk Tuesdays. It comes out every Tuesday morning. And it's about the intersection of faith and talent. And because I'm trained with Clifton Strengths, which is what the Gallup Corporation owns, and it has Christian roots, I get to just share what I'm learning as a coach, as a person who's learning about my own talents. And, uh, and so I get to share the stories, the learnings, ways of doing kind of selfless, holy self-care, things like that. Like, how are you made by God? And what can we learn about it? How can it improve the way we see others, the way we relate to God, the way we even examine our consciences? It's very rich, and I'm having a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I hope people can uh, um, get and make the most out of all those links, and um, I highly encourage it. I'm just getting to know you over the last few years, uh, Lisa. I know um, you are not only uh, you're professional in what you do, but excellent um, 
your, your spiritual life, your your friendship, your just your mannerism, everything about it. it, it I I just think uh, I think you're the perfect person to go to as a coach. So I think I hope people um, take advantage of that. So um, thank you for what you're doing for the church and for our world, and um, I'm praying that it goes strength to strength. Thank you so much, Sharba. You've been a wonderful mentor to me too. You're, I appreciate your faith and your witness and in your ministry and in your family life too. God bless you. Well, thank you so much. And thanks. And hope to get you back on one day, maybe uh, break open some topics uh, specifically in the in the coaching space, but that would be wonderful. Um, thank you, so Sharba. Thank you so much. Well, I th- thanks everyone. Um, that's Lisa Maladnik and uh, what, what a great woman of faith and coach. So please take, take, make the most of that. I do, as we close, I want to just make a quick announcement um, as, as, as the time of this podcast coming out. I actually will be going to the United States with Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, Kevin Bailey, and uh, Robert Haddad. And we're going to be going to five cities. Now, this might be news to Lisa, but uh, it's called the Wake Not Work Tour. And we're going to Orange County. We're going to San Diego. We're going to um, Kansas City, St. Louis, and Dallas, Texas. And it's from September 16 to September 30. And all the details at the moment are both on deaconharold.com forward slash awake not work. Um, or you'll see it on his homepage, the, the banner. Or you go to the Parisian Media website under events and you'll see uh, the banner for this as well. So um, it's all free, 100% free. We're just going to different parishes across these cities. And uh, we're going to have three Aussies speak. Uh, we're also going to have Deacon Harold MC and Anna Nuso, actually, uh, who was. Uh, is a, a wonderful singer, beautiful singer, beautiful voice. She'll be singing and participating in this and sharing um, her, her talents as well. So please come. It's for free. Just register, um, no, no cost at all. And please spread the word. Go to uh, Deacon Howard website or the Perusia Media website. Check it out. Our first ever Perusia USA tour. So we're excited. And we hope it's one of many. And next year, we hope to plan more of the eastern states. And we're going to, you know, try try go east side next year and then we'll come back to the west side the year after and try alternate that way it's a big country so we hope to cover it um year after year after year so please pray for this our first time ever lisa pray for that i don't uh, it's news <laughs> but uh love, please let some people know and, and hope uh we can cross paths uh in in person um if not this time hopefully in, in one in the future <laughs> yeah please god so thanks everyone that's another perusia podcast i'm shovel race till next time god bless